Let's turn this morning to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to take a little break from our our series that I've been doing, titled Under 35, and uh, um, just want to bring a lesson this morning that might be an encouragement uh, to you. Uh, The title of the lesson this morning is Knowing Your Role. Um, You know, uh, Paul used metaphors for the church. Um, He used metaphors for us in our Christian walk. Um, uh, I think he was maybe somewhat of a sports fan, if not a fan. He was very familiar with uh, sports of the day. You know, there was uh, the Olympics um, did not begin with uh, the United States or in the modern era, but actually the Olympics were a very big thing back in uh, Paul's time. And a lot of competition, a lot of sports, and so forth. And uh, I'll read a couple verses here. Uh, he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, at the very end of his life, he refers to his life in this way. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Um, in uh, 1 Corinthians, he said, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. And then he encourages the people in Corinth, So run that you may obtain. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. He was writing to a people who understood what races were, what, uh, what it was in this, in this way, this kind of competition. Uh, he knew what it meant to uh, have to run with, especially long distance race, run with patience the race that is set before us. Uh, this morning, as I speak about knowing your role, um, we'll get to Ephesians 4 in a minute, but by way of introduction, I'm going to use the game of basketball as a metaphor for how uh, we can be in the church uh, as a team. Uh, I want to talk about role players. A role player, as it's defined, a role player in sports is simply a player that is on the team for their specific ability. They're not the star player of the team, nor are they able to carry the others with their skill alone. However, they are put in the game for certain situations and are complementary to other players. I was explaining to uh, uh, Silas uh, a few weeks ago about how it is that it's very important in basketball um, having just being a role player, especially when you're first starting out, knowing your niche, knowing your role, um, if any of you know sports and you think back to basketball days, um, everybody knows about Michael Jordan. But Michael Jordan would have been nobody. He would have never won championships without Scottie Pippen and without Dennis Rodman. Yeah. Dennis Rodman could hardly shoot a basket, but he was an incredible defender. He was a rebounder and so forth. And it's a team sport. It doesn't matter how good you are. You have to have good people around you who will play their part and be willing to be a role player. Going on concerning basketball, uh, I was looking up uh, some different things from different coaches, and um, we can't all be superstars or even starters. Um, We don't all have great shooting skills or ball handling skills, but we can still be important, spokes in the wheel. We can still be very important to the success of our team, We are important as role players. This is addressing uh, role players. A question that I would have as we look at this is what determines, what primarily determines whether or not you are a star player? You give me some feedback. What would, 
on a team, on a basketball team, Matthias or Silas or anybody, what, what determines whether or not you're the guy? What are some key things? How much money you make? No, you gotta have before. No, having money, having money won't make you anything. Okay. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. But how? <clears throat> let's go back even before that. How can you even score points? What's what's required for you to even be able to score points? Basketball. A skill. A talent. A, a skill. You have to skill. You have to have ability. You have to have a skill. You have to have um. Uh, gifts, and keep that word in mind, you have to have gifts. You have to have some kind of natural ability to play basketball. Not everybody can even play basketball. To be a superstar, to be a uh, the guy on an NBA team, they're all good. Uh, Silas and I were watching the Denver Nuggets last night and, and play against the Bulls, and the Bulls are not that good. But we were at the end of the day, we were like, they're all professional. They're, they're actually, the Bulls are actually a really good basketball team. It's just by comparison to these other guys, they're not that good. And, uh, but you have to have some kind of natural ability. You have to have a gift. You have to be born with, you have to be, for, I'll give you an example. The MVP last year in the NBA uh, comes from my team, the Denver Nuggets. Uh, his, his last name is Jokic. Um, he has natural gifts and ability that nobody else has. There are some players that are literally one in five million or so in ability, in, a, in just natural ability. This guy, Jokic, is 6'11", 284 pounds. He's from Serbia. He brings the ball up like a point guard. He shoots the three incredibly well. He lead, led the league in assists. He's a post-up player, and his official position is a center. And so concerning centers in the history of the NBA, he is the best center that has ever played. He, he can do it all, but he's a unicorn. He, but he has natural gifts. He has natural abilities that were given to him. Not everybody has been given the same gifts. One of the most important, uh, I'll get back to this later, one of the most important quotes I came across concerning role-playing is, your role, if you're on a team, your role is different from your value. Think about that. Your role. You could be the highest scoring player, and you could be the starter in every game. But, or you could be the guy who sits on the bench and only comes in for two minutes in a game. But your role is different from your value. Those two things are not the same. Keep that in mind as we move forward. And then concerning a, a, a role player, not the superstar, the role player, the more things you can do, the harder you are to keep out of the lineup. Think about that. The more things you can do, the harder it is to keep you out of the lineup. What does that mean? If you can rebound a little bit, if you can shoot the ball a little bit, if you can dribble the ball a little bit, if you can do all of these things a little bit, it becomes really hard to not ever put you in the lineup when you need to sub somebody. Some guys, all they can do is rebound and block shots. That's all they can do. So you know you're not going to get points out of them, and if you need to score some points because you're behind in the game, Mm, you, might, you might hold back on putting that guy in. But it's important. The more things you can do, the harder you are to keep out of the lineup. From a church standpoint, if you consider this, if you were, and this has to do with our value too, if you were no longer on the team, would you be missed? If you were no longer a member 
of the church? Would you be missed? I think we all want to... It's kind of sobering to think about the role that we play in the church. We want to be... We should desire to be somebody in the service of the Lord that if we were missing from the church, we would be missed. And I can say that in this church, whenever people go out of town, when the Kilgards were in Mara were in Oklahoma, when the Millers were in Alabama, when Brother Wayne was gone, Brother Waco's or Baco's gone, whenever people, I'm going to be gone. I, I know I'm going to be missed, but that goes without saying. <laughs> I won't be here next Sunday. But no, seriously though, is, Pastor, is not the church different? When any one of these people are gone, the service is just, it's just not the same, right? We see that person who is gone for a week or two and, they're, and we pull up in the parking lot and we're like, oh, cool, Wayne's back. You know, it, the church is just not the same. Well, why is that? Is that because Wayne preaches? No. Is that because Brother Baco uh, leads the singing? No. It's because he's who he is. They are who they are. They got the smile. They got the greeting. They're an encouragement and so forth. And so it is when you're a role player on a team. You're on the bench. We were over in, uh, um, I will get to the word of God here in a minute. Bear with me. Okay. But this is Sunday school. So there's a little liberty here. Okay. But um, we were over at volleyball tournaments on uh, Friday and Saturday for Saza School. And, and uh, um, I, we were sitting across from the bench, so we're facing the bench of all the players. And it's amazing how involved the people who don't play, they only come in once in a while. They might not even get in in a particular game, but they'll get in maybe for two minutes or because they don't serve well, they'll rotate them in and they'll go through, if you're familiar with volleyball, they'll go through the round until it gets back around to about the time they'll serve and then the coach pulls them because they're really good or vice versa, they'll put this person in because they can really serve. There was one girl who could really serve the ball well, but she wasn't quick on her feet and wasn't as good at the other stuff. And so the coach would put her in, she would serve and then a couple moves later, she would pull her back out. But when they're on the bench, you know what they're doing on the bench? They're yelling and screaming and cheering and encouraging the other people. And during the timeouts, they're actually the life of the party during the timeout in the huddle. They're encouraging everybody. And that's kind of how it is in the church with role players. It's not always about being up here. It's not always about teaching that Sunday school class. It's not, but you have a role. And a role a lot of times on a team is encouraging momentum attitude, positive approach, not getting your head down and, and keeping going. Even when we're down on, when we're down in this game, we got to keep our positivity up. We got to, we got to still believe that we can win. And so role playing is important, even if you're on the bench. And so finally, the role player understands that it's not who starts the game, but who finishes the game, who can finish the game. If the other guys foul out, you got to be there to pick up the pace. And we never know in a church standpoint, I use this very loosely, but we never know when an important member, an important role player is going to foul out. What I mean by that? When is the Lord going to take them home? When are they going to end up with a sickness where they can no longer be in the house of God? We've had members who are still members. In, in the past, when we were in Colorado, we, had, we would have members. They're still members, but they can't make it to the house of God anymore. And so... It's time for the next generation. It's time for those people who have been on the bench. Now it's your turn. Get in. Get in and play the game. Okay, now let's get to the Word of God and look at some of this. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. 
Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Um, I'll pause right there. Three times in the letter to the Ephesians, Paul refers to himself as a prisoner. That's an interesting thing. Um, Ephesians 3.1 says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. And also in Ephesians 6.20, he says, I am an ambassador in bonds. Um, Paul refers to himself in many different ways. Um, If you're familiar with his epistles, based on who he was writing to, he would refer to him as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He would uh, refer to him as a soldier. He referred to himself based on who he was writing, what situation he was in life. That's how he would refer to himself. And uh, oh, But he had a vocation wherein he was called first and foremost. And it's the same vocation that we're all called with. Primarily, we are all called to be holy. We're all called to be servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We all in the church have been saved. And as, child of, as a child of God, we are called to be saints. Yeah. Ephesians 1 says, He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. It's for a reason. Yeah. That we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Walk worthy. You've been called. You've been called. That's what vocation is. It's your calling. And don't think of it as necessarily, it could apply to this, but don't think of it necessarily as the, this aspect of the ministry that I'm called into. Walk worthy of that. No. You all, we all, we have been called. We, we came out of the world. We were serving ourselves and we, ha- we have a mission. We have an assignment. We have a higher calling now. And uh, walk worthy of that calling. Um, you don't get to walk like you used to walk. You don't get to do things how you used to do it. You're called. You've been removed from that. And so walk worthy of the vocation uh, wherein you've been called. Um, In Ephesians 1, after explaining all that God has done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 12 says that we should be, it's one really long sentence, and he's, It's not even the end of the sentence, but he says this, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Mm -hmm. And so walk worthy of this vocation in verse 2. With all lowliness, walk in this vocation this way. With all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now, you could say that unto every, this could be concerning salvation, and we've all been given uh, salvation by grace and so forth, but I think it also speaks of something else, and it'll tie into what he says literally in the next verses, but also with other scriptures in the word of God. Unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now he that ascended, what is it but that he also descended first in the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some 
apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors, and teachers. Why? Why did he give these to the churches? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is the goal that we are to be striving for. Um, this is, the church is the means by which Christ, God has chosen to spread the gospel. It's, it's through the local church. Yes. The Great Commission was given to the church. The ch- the, one of the, the main purposes of the church also is what this passage is talking about, though. It is through the church that we are to grow. It is through the church that we are to come uh, in the unity of the faith, in the knowledge of the yes. Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It is by the teaching of prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers and and all of us, the body edifying itself. Um, this is why we are to be part of a church, the accountability and so forth. There are several metaphors or pictures of the church in the Word of God that Paul uses in explaining how we should work together and function as a church, such as the human body, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and other places. Or in Ephesians 2, Paul refers to just a couple chapters earlier, Paul refers to the church in Ephesus as a building. He says uh, it's as a building fitly framed together. And so these are different ways that we can look at the church, our local church, and so forth. Um, in the church, there are responsibilities for every individual. We see here in Ephesians 4, he's talking about the gifts that have been given to different ministers. But turn over to Titus chapter 2. Titus uh, chapter 2, if you remember who Titus was and why Paul um, wrote this epistle to him, um, Paul had sent him, and he was supposed to go to all these churches, and he was to ordain elders, and it says specifically, setting things in order. Set things in order. And so keep that in mind as we read these verses. Um, this is to be in a, in a church context. Um, Titus 2, verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober. This is, this is what you teach. Uh, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. So we see, you know, a lot of times when we, and I've experienced this through conversations that I've had with different people and things I've heard pastors say, people have said to them. It's almost like the things that we just read here, they know that those apply to the bishops and the deacons, right? But the reality is that the bishops and the deacons, the pastors and the deacons and, and elders in a church, um, they have those requirements because they're to be role models, they're to be the example. Right. 
But think about it. If you're to be the example, then it only follows that the other people are supposed to be doing those things because you're just an example, right. right? So there's no reason for the pastor to live at a higher standard than the rest of the people. Mm. Because if the people are growing properly and they love the Lord properly just as much as the pastor, just because they're not preaching and teaching doesn't mean that they still shouldn't be these things. And notice it says there's instructions for the aged men that really sound like the requirements of a deacon and a pastor. And the women, remember, a bishop is not to, he's not to drink, he's, he's not to be involved in those things. And it says, it's talking about the women, the older women. You have no business drinking any wine either. You notice that? The requirements are pretty similar. The women have some pretty high standards here, along with the men. And then the women are supposed to be teaching the younger women, not just girls. Did you notice who it was talking about here? It's talking about younger women. They need to be teaching them. And, well, that sounds like it's going to require some... This is some role players. There's more teachers involved here than just the pastor. There's more going on here than just the deacons. Because the women are supposed to be teaching the younger women, and the younger women are supposed to be teaching their girls and so forth. And, uh, and the young men need to be being taught, and everybody's supposed to be sober-minded. And so um, there can't be a sound, solid church with only deacons and pastors holding to standards of morality and soberness. That's, that's not a solid church. Right. Um, I have a, I have, I do have a question. Everybody has their responsibilities in the church. Um, if a church functions, he's writing to a church, and how to, how to, when you go into these churches, this is what you're supposed to be teaching them. This is, this is how things should be. If church functions only consist of attendance to preaching services, then when does the teaching, like we see in Titus, take place? When does that happen? Well, that, that should happen at home. Well, that's not what it's talking about. And what if the older women don't have any younger people in their family to teach at home, right? I mean, if you think about it, this is... So, you've been... You, you are familiar with this concept. I've seen it a lot. If I visit other churches, I see it a lot. I can visit a church and, and, and go there and preach or whatever. And people show up for the service... And as soon as the service is over, it's split, gone. And then it's till next Sunday or next Wednesday night. There's not a lot of interaction. There's not a lot of, and in a lot of churches, it's like, oh, we don't believe in programs and we don't like youth groups and we don't like vacation Bible study and we don't do this and we don't do that. And church literally consists of showing up to the services for the preaching of the word and then going home. Where's the role players? Right. Where's any of this stuff going on when that's the case. And so um, we're familiar with the metaphor of the body um, applied to the church in the word of God. And in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, a whole chapter is dedicated. I only just want to look at a couple verses in the beginning of it, but a whole chapter, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 12. A whole chapter is dedicated to explaining the gifts of the spirit of each member in a local church context. And I'll just read um, three verses or so in First uh, Corinthians chapter twelve, in verse four. I, the, one of the reasons that I brought up, um, what does it take for an NBA player or, a, or a player to be a starter to be the star of a team? 
it takes more than just practice. It takes more than just there. There's there's gifts that are given. A person has gifts. I don't care. I could go out when I was 20. I could go out and shoot hoops all day long. I was never going to be able to dunk the ball in my life, ever. It doesn't matter how many squats I do. I'm so extremely flat-footed. I have no hops, um, and it didn't matter. How, I don't have the natural abilities to be a really good basketball player. It's not going to happen. But in the, in the church, in this context, there are, peop- there are diversities of gifts that are given, and not everybody has the same gifts. And so we really need to recognize that as we read through this, God has, if you've been saved and you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, God has given you gifts. You have certain abilities. You have things that make you unique and special and God wants to use you and you're to serve God in your way. It, it, it is there. And it might not, it's not going to be the same as the person next to you. Uh, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are difference differences of administrations but the same lord and there are diversities of operations but it is the same god which worketh in all or all in all but the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all did you notice that i believe what it's saying here is what it says, that the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. An outward evidence, a manifestation or exhibition is given to every man. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and self-same spirit. Notice this. Dividing to every man, severally as he will. If you have a gift concerning spiritual things, it's because God gave it to you. Take even a, take a preacher. Some of the best preachers that I've known... The way they preach is exactly the opposite of their natural personality and their natural ability. Like, I've known people who were really shy, and they were terrified of being in front of people before God saved them. And they weren't necessarily... It's not like God takes college professors and turns them into preachers. It's very, very, very rare that God takes an actor or a natural orator, and he becomes... A great speaker. Uh, George Whitfield was an actor. He was an orator. And when he became a preacher, he used a lot of his ways that he was already naturally, and he just used it for the Lord. I'm not saying he wasn't used for the Lord. I'm just what I'm saying is it's very, very, very rare that that happens. Charles Spurgeon was not a great orator before God saved him. And these are gifts, undeniable gifts that it also takes the working of the Holy Spirit and God using us to be able to discern what the Scripture actually says and then to be able to convey that clearly to other people so that they can then process it and understand. These are gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's not natural. But you can take that down to every level of how a person is as a child of God and how they function and serve in the church. 
There are ways in which people who are never going to teach and never going to preach, the way that they could share their testimony at work, maybe they, in their life, they were never the kind of person who really liked to get personal. They never really liked to share that much about themselves. And God saves them, and man, they, they end up being the kind of person that will witness, and they just want to tell people about what God has done for them. But other things in their life, maybe not so much. And so um, God gives to every man, and all this is a one and safe self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. If you have a gift, it's because God gave it to you. There, I'll just touch on these quickly. The differences, differences of administrations. Uh, this definition comes from the word deaconia. Um, uh, it's, it's officially a service, especially of the Christian teacher or technically of the, and I don't know how to pronounce these things right, but the deaconate, deaconate or whatever. Um, but it's, a, it's, a, it's talking about an official office, official service. There's differences of those things. Um, there's different operations. This word operations is inter, energema, which is an effect. Operation or working. It, it's really the way uh, that it's, uh, it's uh, translated here. There's not that much of a definition to it. But it's speaking of the differences. There's differences of operations. It's differences in how the work is done. So there's different offices, and we see those laid out in the Word of God. Um, And then there's different ways in which men carry those things out. We know that from the Word of God that there there was a difference when Paul and Barnabas went and they spoke. There was a difference in their preaching, in their preaching styles. Um, And they both had a role that they played. Um, Apollos, when he preached... He was noted as preaching. It was the same gospel message, but he was eloquent. He, he was fiery. He was passionate. The way in which he preached. There's different operations in how God uses people, and it's not just their personality or their natural, natural ability, as I was already touching on. Um, I do want to point this out. We should really pause the next time we want to critique how a man of God preaches or teaches, if the content is dead on, if yes. it's right, and yes. it's the Word of God. Yes. This happens a lot, though, in churches, especially among preachers and those who know what the, you know, they know how things should be. They like to critique how this guy brought this message. They critique whether or not he alliterates or not in his outlines. They critique all this, these things. Oh, he reads. You can tell when he's up there preaching, he's, read, he's just reading from his outline the whole time. And then the really good preacher, he's a guy who'll get up with a three-by-five card, and he'll just let it fly. Or you could be like I've heard there's some rumors of some churches in North Carolina that they got a mirror up there on the ceiling to make sure the preacher has no notes because that's how you're supposed to preach. It's absurd how preachers critique other preachers. And I've had preachers tell me that when they go to conferences, they like to sit there and take notes and try to figure out the guy's outline and this and that. Well, why don't you just sit there and try to learn something and be blessed by the Holy Spirit and not be a critic? But um, but anyway, that's that's my opinion. But I think we should really we should check ourselves when we critique how someone teaches and how someone preaches. And how loud they yell and how quiet they are and how they emphasize their words and, and so forth. Um, because 
there's different operations. There's differences of operations. But it's the same spirit that's behind it. God has made that preacher the way he is. And you're not going to do anything about it. And he shouldn't do anything about it either. He shouldn't change just to fit in with the preacher club that he's in. He needs to follow just the direction of the Holy Spirit and teach and preach how, how his outlines are and what works for him. Evidently, the Lord's helping him with that. Leave it alone. But it also goes to, we can also be critical of how somebody prays or how somebody witnesses or how they sing their praises and how they worship. But the Word of God says there's differences of operations. So we need to slow down a little bit on how we critique how people are serving the God, uh, as long as it doesn't contradict what's in the Word of God. Oh, I want to look at some examples as we close of role players in the Word of God. As we're considering this analogy or metaphor or whatever of um, the church and the people of a church being uh, similar to uh, a sports team and, and knowing what role players are. Um, how about Luke the physician? Hmm. He didn't really check any boxes, did he? I mean, who was he? Someone give me, give me some feedback. What was Luke and who was he? He was a support team. Yeah, he, he was a physician. Um, what else did Luke do besides be there to help them with their physical? Two books. Yeah, he wrote detail very well. Yeah, he was... He, was a, he wrote by inspiration, it's scripture, so he wrote by inspiration of God. He was a writer as well as a doctor. Um, he went into full-time ministry as such. I don't know if that would fly today, just saying, in Baptist churches. A physician who wants to go to the mission field and help existing missionaries and um, be a writer and... Um, I don't know if that would. I don't know if that would right. fly. Um, to be part of a support team, because um, the way it's done now is the husband and wife go out and do missions, and that's how it's all done. And, but I'll just stop right there. But the thing is, is um, Luke was a role player. Um, I don't know if he preached. I can't say he didn't, but I don't have any proof that he was a preacher. Um, I don't even know if he don't have proof of him actually even teaching although he did write two books of the word of god and he was very knowledgeable and i think just like any of us if he was asked i'm sure he could have taught he could have brought a devotional he could have taught he could have been he could have taught some serious doctrine uh, but we don't have a record of it what we have a record of is that he was luke the physician and he wrote two books of the word of god and he was extremely faithful and i noticed this when i look at luke second timothy at the very end of Paul's life, in the final chapter, says this, only Luke is with me. Mm. He was a pretty important role player. Only Luke is with me. Mm. Those are pretty impactful words. Yeah. Just before that, he's talking about who has forsaken him. Mm. And he's asking Timothy to bring some other people. But at that point in his life, from way early on, the only one that was still with Paul, only Luke is with me. Um, Philip the Evangelist, as the Word of God identifies him, uh, first we see him as what though we see him as one of the first deacons chosen by the church in Jerusalem. So he didn't just stick with his role as a deacon. He was a deacon, 
And then as persecution came and, and uh, the church was spread through persecution, it says they went everywhere preaching the word. And next thing we know, we see this deacon up preaching and evangelizing and people being saved and baptized up in Samaria. And then way later in his life, 16 years later, or so we see him in Caesarea. But um, one of the keys of doing, being an important role player is doing what God asks you and doing what the church asks you to do. When the church asks you to do it, just do it. Right. That's that's your role for right now. And your role next year might be something completely different. Right. Don't have preconceived ideas of who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to be doing. Just mm-hmm. the Lord will help you along the way. And you might start off be start coming in as all you know how to do is rebound the basketball and, and hustle. But next year you might actually be making some shots. And by the time you reach your senior year, you might actually even be a starter. And so it's that way. In ministry, we see that. People grew. Timothy, what did he do? He just ran around with Paul for a while. He was a youngster. He's 20 years old or whatever, and Paul just snatched him up out of Derby, took him away from his mom and grandma, and he's just running around with Paul. And the next thing you know, Paul's leaning on him a little bit more. Paul's actually sending him up to in Ephesus. We see when that uprising arose, he sent Timothy and someone else back up to Philippi. We see he put more and more responsibility on him as the time went. And then pretty soon we see he's actually pastoring a megachurch in Ephesus. But he was a role player for a while. Um, What about Priscilla and Aquila? They were very important role players, weren't they? I mean, to begin with, they were with Paul when no one else was with him. And they had the same trade as him, but they were with him, supported him, encouraged him. They were originally from Rome, had fled for persecution of the Jews, ended up in Corinth, but then we see uh, they ended up, they were business people, and they ended up in Ephesus, and then they're in Ephesus, and they help out Apollos, and correct him on a couple doctrinal things, and, and, uh, um, and then we see that they end up back in Rome, and by the time that um, Paul's writing the book of Romans, when he's concluding uh, in Romans 16, 3, It says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks. Unto him, not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles. They were not evangelists. They were not preachers. He wasn't even a deacon necessarily. I don't know. We see that there was a church in their house that's referred to at one point, way at the very, very end. But... For the majority of their Christian life, they were they were just a husband and wife team. They were role players. Whatever was asked of them to do, they just did it. And they did some pretty mighty things. And God used them. Husband and wife team. No official titles. Uh, Romans 16.1 says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Sincrea. That's a, that's a, just that statement alone is a very commendable thing for a woman to be in the Word of God listed as. Greet Phoebe. She is a servant in the church, which is at Sincrea. We need more Phoebes in the world. Um, But it goes on that you receive her in the Lord as become a saint, and that you assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she has been a succorer of many, and of myself also. And so we see that this is kind of how she was a servant. 
This is one of the important things. Is she was a comfort, she was a help, financial, food, lodging, helping people when they were having a hard time. Maybe she was someone who they could talk to. She was a comforter. She was a sucrer to many. She has been a sucrer of many and of myself also. In a church of Sincrea, which was like the second Baptist church of Corinth. <laughs> it was six miles from Corinth. And so um, she was an important role player in the, in the early church. And then what about just travel companions? It's like none of these things are great, great things that we think about in a church context now. But we need these kind of people in our churches nowadays. Ephesians 19. Go ahead and turn over there. Uh, Ephesians 19. And the whole city was filled with confusion. This is that riot that I was referring to earlier. And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, notice this description of them. Uh, Ephesians, or I said Ephesians 19. It's about Ephesus, but it's Acts 19. Acts 19, 29. (laughs) It's going to take you a while to find Ephesians 19. All right. Uh, Verse 29. And the whole city was filled with confusion, and having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, the men of Macedonia. So we see they weren't even from there. Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered in unto the people, the disciples suffered him not. And certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring that he would not adventure himself into the theater. We see later in in the next chapter over in Acts chapter 24. So we see Gaius and Aristarchus are with Paul, helping him. We don't see that they're, in this instance, we don't see that they're teachers or preachers or anybody important or with a particular title. They were tr- partners with Paul in travel. They, had, they played a major role in the gospel going out into the world. Um, Paul needed help. In Acts 20 and verse 4, it says, And they're accompanying I find it interesting that the Word of God, Luke writing this by inspiration, the Word of God points out, it didn't have to say this, And they're accompanying him into Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timotheus, and of Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus. So here we have one, two, three, four, five, six, six guys. And I think it's go- the word of God's going out of its way to show that they're from all these different areas. All these places where Paul has gone and started churches and done ministry. And... These aren't, these aren't men from Jerusalem. These aren't men from the original church that sent him out in Antioch. These are people who on the fly, learning on the fly, traveling with Paul, serving with Paul. They're a result of his ministry. Yes. But they are important role players in the early church. And the word of God goes out of his, its way to show us that there were these six men were traveling with Paul and serving with Paul. Um, who would Paul, just like that NBA team, uh, you could take LeBron James, you could take Jokic, you could take Jordan and stick him out there by himself to go play against another team. He gets smashed. I mean, doesn't stand a chance. And God hasn't intended that we go through this life serving him on our own. 
Oh, I'm going to be a great servant of God. Go try doing that outside your local church. Right. You're going to fail miserably. Yep. And for a pastor to try to pastor this church and see this church grow and do great things for God and, and have a youth group and do work in the senior centers and um, try to reach the homeless. And you think about all these things. It isn't going to happen if there's only one guy working in the church. Paul couldn't do it by himself. We're not going to do it with just one guy. And so we all have to work together and know our role. I want to conclude with um, Mary and Martha. I'll just read this. Luke 10.38 says this. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha received him, this is Jesus, into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came back to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. But I don't want to just stop there. We see that Martha is the one who invited Jesus to her house. Martha is the one who was serving Jesus. Um, now, if we go over to John chapter 11, notice how it says this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister. It doesn't mention Mary by name. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved all three of them. But I just want to stop with this thought. Martha served the Lord. Mary served the Lord. Lazarus was a child of God. And it says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Is there any more impactful or precious statement that could be said about any one of us? Think about that. As you serve the Lord, think about the fact that Jesus loves you. I'm talking, I'm talking to the children of God, people who are saved, I can tell you 110%, Jesus loves you. And that should be a real motivator yeah, for us. We serve him out of love. The Lord loves us. And it just, it just keeps cycling back around, right? And so I want to go back to um, that quote that I had earlier concerning role players. It says, your role, I don't know who quotes, who, who said this, but the quote is, your role is different than your value. No matter what your role or how small you think your role might be, it has no bearing on how much Jesus loves you and what your value is to Jesus. He died for you. He loves you. He's going to come and get you one of these days. You're going to be raised, spend eternity with him. Think about those things. Your role is different from your value. You are of high value.